rubber boots. What does that mean? It's another reason to talk about the Hurricanes, and this time it's because of something that they did on the ice during the game, which is cool. Nobody in Russia is named Craig. What's up? Science Hunter Podcast back again for a little post-playoff game episode. Sorry for the slight delay, but you know, it gets late after these games, and I don't necessarily have time when I gotta get up for work the next morning and so on and so forth, but I'm getting it to you the day after the game, and I feel like you should be okay with that, and if you're not, well, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, Canes tie the series up 1-1. You love to see it. Um, Carolina played, I thought, much better. In this game, um, you know, and, and whether or not you want to call it Boston, still yet to fully get to what I think their game is as, a, as you know, the President's Trophy winning team from the regular season that seemed like years ago. Uh, we can, you know, have that debate. But I felt like the this game was all about the Hurricanes getting a little bit more to their game, at least in the second period, I thought, um, and playing better defensively making better decisions, limiting their turnovers, and kind of playing that, you know, grind it out uh, kind of game that, you know, they're going to have to outdo the Bruins with, which is tough because the Bruins are good at that as well. We all remember that regular season game against Boston where it was like 0-0 forever and neither team was giving an inch and it was back and forth and then all of a sudden Boston scored like right at the end of the game to get the win. Um, it's it's going to be that kind of series, I think. So um, the Hurricanes are going to have to you know, really hunker down and and play their game and, and kind of outwill Boston to victory. And I thought that that's what they were able to do in this game and overcoming, you know, the millions of challenges thrown in their direction, which of course you know I'm getting to. Um, but that's that. those are my overall thoughts on this game. All right, podcast over. See you next Monday. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so let's just, let's, let's break down the game, as we like to say. Um, first period... Really wasn't a whole lot going on. Felt like if you listened to the broadcast, you heard them talk about kind of the teams feeling each other out. That's that's how I felt as well. Um, it was, you know, uh, neither team really wanting to give up a lot and therefore not really creating a lot either. Not the most interesting period ever. Boston gets the goal on the power play um, for the Brady-Shea hook. I mean... I don't know. I feel like they just called that one the wrong thing, but it would have been a weak call no matter what. But you can't hook someone if your stick doesn't leave the ice, you know? It's just not possible to do. So, uh, wrong on that one. Just like you can't hold someone without taking your hand off your stick, you can't hook someone without your stick coming up off the ice. Like, that's the definition of the penalty. So for sure don't call a penalty where the definition of the penalty isn't possible during the play that you called the penalty on. Um, But Brady Shea gets called. Kane's penalty kill was you know, left a little bit to be desired to me. Um, but obviously it didn't it didn't kill them. But this game started flashing back to last year in the series in the Eastern Conference Finals where the Hurricanes had trouble dealing with the uh, Bruins power play. They let in two power play goals in game two in, in this series. Um, but we're able to overcome it and I feel like that's the bigger the bigger thing. Um so you know the Bruins get that goal. 
on the power play. Um, just an unfortunate little series of events where Brock McGinn breaks his stick. So now, you know, he's he's your guy in the middle of the ice with no stick. Um, and Jordan Stahl makes the decision to give him his stick and then becomes that guy. You know, to me, if a defenseman doesn't have a stick or a goalie doesn't have their stick, you th- those are priority. You make sure they have a stick first because obviously closer to the net needs a stick more. Farther from the net needs a stick less, but still could definitely use a stick or is kind of useless. Um, so when Brock breaks his, I'm like, yikes. Um, but... To me, you just kind of deal with it until you get a situation where he can go. Jordan Jordan Stahl makes the decision to give Brock his stick, which is, you know, maybe smart for the moment because, like Tripp said in the broadcast, the guy in the middle of the ice is priority um, because he can use that stick to cover the lanes and, um, you know, the, the guy that Jordan Stahl was guarding on kind of the outside perimeter there isn't ultra dangerous if he does get the puck right away and you can be in the shooting lane without a stick. Um but then all that happens is they kind of move the puck around, and now Jordan Stahl's in the middle of the ice with no stick. And to me, Jordan Stahl's going to be the more effective player with his stick because, one, it's his stick. Like, I don't know if you've ever played anyone who's ever played the game and, and had to, like, use someone else's stick for a shift. You're like, what the fuck is this thing? Like, it's not easy to do. Um, hockey sticks are very weird like that. Like, you have to get used to your exact stick, and, and any other stick just feels weird, and you won't play the same with it. Um, but, you know, that aside... It's just defense, not like it's the end of the world. But Jordan Stahl's got a longer reach, the bigger guy, and a bigger stick that he has. So I feel like he's just going to be more effective um, with that stick in general. So I felt like he should have hung on to it. But, you know, it is what it is. It, it wasn't like he made a bad choice. I mean, it's spur-of-the-moment thing. He did the smart thing. It just the Bruins did the smart thing by, you know, working him into the role. And now he's just trying his best to get in the way, but the shot gets through. Uh, James Reimer's maybe a little bit deep, but not much he can do on that play. That's, I mean, that's just how James Reimer's going to play. It's the differences between Morazic and Reimer. Uh, Morazic's probably way farther out on that play. Reimer's kind of hanging closer to home and, and trying to play more positionally as a little bit bigger guy than Morazic, but um, not faulting Reimer at all on that one. It's, he couldn't see anything. It's uh, not an easy shot to track, especially through all that traffic. Uh, so that was goal number one, and then yeah, the rest of the period, not a whole lot going on. Um, it was it was better than than uh, game one, but you know, not enough of an improvement for me to be like, okay, cool, Hurricanes are are looking better. And you go into the period uh, down one, so if we're going back to our keys of survive a bad period and then build a lead and then shut it down, um, you know, they failed step number one. They didn't quite survive the period. I mean, it depends on how you want to define that, but I define it as even or better when you weren't the better team, which I didn't necessarily think that the Bruins were significantly better than the Hurricanes in that period. It was kind of a, a bleh fest all around. Um, but, you know, you got to you gotta find a way to kill that penalty. Uh, they got burned on it, and, you know, you move on, and luckily they were able to um, get it going forward there. Move on to the second period, and I felt like for a large part of the second period, nothing much changed. The Hurricanes were still making too many turnovers, I thought, Um, both, you know, trying to get the puck out of their own end, like we saw in game one as well. And I mentioned that in last episode, um, and in the neutral zone, just making questionable decisions, not getting pucks deep when they could, or attempting to, and and having it blocked along the boards in a second period. That's the most crucial because, you know, I'm sure you've heard this mentioned ad nauseum, but it's a long, long shift. Um, in the second period, your bench is on the opposite side of the ice. So for your defenseman to get off, like you have to get the puck all the way into the zone. It's not an option to change without that. So, uh, that team that's kind of 
keeping you in the neutral zone and not letting you advance it into their zone isn't letting you initiate full line changes and is going to get an advantage because they can throw fresh forwards on the ice and, you know, attack you with your, your guys that may have been on the ice for a while. So it's a big deal in the second period to me to make even better decisions in the neutral zone than you usually would, even though it should always be a priority because we've seen how important it is, um, you know, just in anything. And you saw in game one, the Hurricanes uh, weren't the best neutral zone team, I thought. In fact, I would I would say that they weren't good at all at it, um, in, except in stretches um, and too many turnovers. And, and it led to too many chances for the Bruins. And you saw how that worked. And, and the adverse effect of that is that the Hurricanes weren't able to sustain a real good forecheck in that game because, you know, they're in their own end more because when you make turnovers in the neutral zone or don't get pucks deep when you should, um, you're, you're giving the other team an advantage and they're going to have the puck more in your end. So it's just not a good... It's just an important thing to take care of the puck in the neutral zone and in your D zone. Um, but anyway, the first half of that period wasn't great. The second half, and specifically right around the, I don't know, seven-minute or 13-minute mark, I guess it would be about seven minutes to go in the period, Canes really started getting to what I would call their game. Um, I saw that the the speed kind of amped up, and that's important. I felt for a while that the Hurricanes looked a little slow in this game, and that wasn't going to you know bode well for them. Boston's a, a pretty quick team, and you're going to have to be able to keep up with them. I think the Hurricanes should be faster than Boston. Um, they're a younger team. They've got uh, more speedy guys, I think, and their defense is definitely quicker um, than Boston's, I, I feel like, personally. Um, and I thought they they started to get that going, and, you know, they get the, the chance, and Tara Vinan capitalizes with a beautiful shot. Um, great to see that. And uh, then, you know, moments after that, it felt like the wonderful play by Natchez to get the puck to Svech in the center and just to rock it right where it needed to go. Great shot by Svechnikov, who I thought, you know, I graded him poorly last game. I would say that he's on the opposite end of the spectrum in this one. Played really well. Um, and that was exciting to see. That line of Trocek, Natchez, Svechnikov, I like it. I think that Rod did that for two reasons. I think for one, as you probably heard many times before, this isn't an original opinion, but it, it's true, is for matchups when you're technically not the home team, even though no one's really a home team in Toronto. Um, but when you're designated as the away team, the other team gets to have last call on the um, line changes and everything, so they get the matchups they want. If they see you send out your top line, they're going to send out their best defensive group against them. So if you load up on your top line as the away team, it's easier for the home team to counter that with with their best defensive group and then maybe have a little advantage over you in the rest of the lineup because you're you're more sparse offensively throughout the rest of your lineup. So that's what uh, that's the other thing. Well, that's the first reason, sorry, that Rod would do that. The second reason, I think, was to motivate Svechnikov. Um, I mean, not that the, a line of Trocek and Natchez isn't, isn't putting him with good teammates, um, but, you know, being bumped off of that line with Ajo and Teravine, and that's so clearly the first line, um, is, maybe, is maybe saying, like, hey, you got to earn it. You got to earn that spot. Uh, and I don't think it was Rod saying, like, you're not good enough. I think it was Rod saying, like, well, we can use this for matchups and for Svech, maybe it maybe it gets him going and saying like, you know, I really need to take advantage of, of this this role I'm in and capitalize and have a better game. I think that he would have done that anyway. But regardless, the, the point stands, I think it's a good move, a uh, good coaching move for that. And it paid off because I think that line played really well. Vincent Trocek, I thought, has, has played really well um, since this postseason started. Hasn't really been rewarded for it a whole lot on the, on the um, stat sheet. I think he's got a couple assists. Um, and nearly scored tonight was a, that toe drag is just on point. 
Um, one of, one of these days, he's going to get a goal like that. Just like we were saying, you know, eventually Svech is going to score on that lacrosse move. Well, eventually Vincent Trocek's going to score on that toe drag. That was always my favorite move. When I played was a little toe drag, get the defenseman away from you, open up space, and then just drag it as the goalie drifts and then flip it far side over his shoulder once he drifts far enough out of position. That was, that was my go-to. Um, and I'm sure Vincent Trocek could execute it a million times better than I ever could. <laughs> Um, but you know, that's, that's what I felt from that line. And the second period ends with, Ooh, just a, a brutal penalty call on Tara Vinen, um, and an unfortunate series of events, I'll call it, um, to, to lead to a Brad Marchand, sorry, Brad McWilliams, um, <laughs> little tap in by the goal. Van Riemsdyk probably needed to be tying up a stick better. You hear my dog losing her mind in the background, which means that I need to get going finishing this one up because you're going to listen to that probably in the background the whole time, unless I keep giving her treats intermittently, which I just did. <laughs> um, but anyway, I don't quite remember where I was, but in the second period, it's 2-2. Third period, um, Hurricanes, I thought, played. That was their best period, and it's tended to be that way since this postseason started to me. Um, and they get the great chance. Again, it's the Natchez... Uh, line he sets up um Dougie Hamilton coming down from the point vintage Dougie Hamilton an absolute bomb no one's gonna stop that no one in the league's gonna stop that Dougie that's what makes Dougie such a dangerous offensive defenseman um and that's the game winner right there from the rest of the game on I thought that the Canes picked a certain point and said it's time to lock it down and get everything deep and just waste the clock they did that it was a mad scramble at the end and it got a little scary but that was the game. So um, I thought it much better performance from the Hurricanes, although I would still like to see a full 60-minute effort like that. And I think that if they can pull that out, where they're playing 60 minutes of their game, um, and you know Boston maybe takes it over in, in small segments, but in general the Hurricanes are playing their game like they did in the second and third period in, in Game 2 going forward, I think that they, uh, they win this series. And it happens. Um, now, let's move on to a couple of things. One... The officiating. Um, I mean, if you thought that it couldn't get worse from game one, you would be incorrect. Um, I want to talk about a few things. The first call... Well, first of all, I want to I want to kind of clarify my point on the officiating. It's kind of wasted energy. I've always felt this. But at the same time, I think it's important to point it out and just say, like, what? This is wrong. Like, this is wrong. It needs to be corrected. But there's not really much you can do about it. And I think you saw that the Hurricanes were able to battle through it because... One, they have that mental fortitude to do so, which every team needs. And if you don't have it, well, you're probably not going to win the series anyway. So, um, And the other thing is, if you're the better team, the officials can do a lot of things to you, but you'll probably still win the game, unless the other team is is, is equal or better with you. Um, I thought the Hurricanes were slightly the better team tonight, and I thought that they won the game. And, and to me, it proved a lot that they overcame those those um, those bad calls. I even said when, um, when the challenge got... Um, denied for the Hurricanes and they were on the pen- or the pe- the penalty kill because of it, I tweeted out that if the Hurricanes kill this penalty, they win this game. Calling it. And it happened. And, and my point with that prediction was I feel like if they can overcome, this game's going, this is a turning point in this game. It's either going Boston scores here and, you know, all hope is lost, like woe is me, the refs are out to get us. That starts taking over. If you If you really say like, look, you know, screw the refs, 
we're going to kill this penalty and we're going to go win this game. And then you kill that penalty, all the momentum's on your side. Um, and you're, you're proving to yourself that you can overcome any obstacle. And then once they get that goal, now it's, now I'm confident, you know, that they're going to lock it down and win. And they did. And, you know, credit to the defense, credit to James Reimer for keeping pucks out. Thought he played well in this one as well, but, um, that's kind of how the officiating goes. And sorry for the dog part too. Uh, but I told you we get, we're getting, we're getting to our limit here. So I'm going <laughs> to keep trying to wrap it up. Uh, but anyway. My overall point on officiating is that it's usually wasted energy to complain about it, but, you know, I'll bring it up anyway. <laughs> um, the hook on Shea. At first, when I saw that replay, um, I thought, there's no way that was the... You know how sometimes they're like, I don't... I mean, I, it might have happened before we noticed, but this is the closest thing we can get. And you're like, that's probably not what they called the penalty on. That's how I felt when they showed that replay. I was like, okay, that can't be it. Because they called a hook, and he did, his stick didn't even leave the ice. Like, the other guy fell, but it wasn't even a trip. Like... He just tried to make a, a tight turn and, and cut it too hard. Like, I mean, Shea Stick was in contact with him, but are you saying that guys can't touch the other guy or lean on them at all if they fall? It's a trip? Like, no. I mean, you, you got to stay on your feet at a certain point. If anytime someone touches you and you fall, it's a trip, then that's ridiculous. But they didn't even call a trip. They called a hook. And it can't be a hook if the stick doesn't leave the ice. So just like, I don't know, call it. If they would have called it tripping, I would have been like, that's a weak tripping call. But at least someone tripped. <laughs> You call it hooking, I'm just like, I mean, impossible. They can't, you, you can't do it. It's not possible to hook someone with your stick on the ice. Um, then, you know, the missed call right in front of the referee. Charlie McAvoy rips off Jordan Stahl's helmet. Right, right in front of the referee. On every replay, you see the referee looking at it, and Jordan Stahl even looked back at him like, dude, what the fuck? How is that not illegal? Um, it's just, that kind of stuff is ridiculous. Boston gets away with too much of that in general. Like, it's not like I'm watching Boston every game, but the games I watched Boston, specifically in the playoffs, it was the same thing last year. They get away with a lot of this bullshit. And Brad Marchand, you know, gets away with uh, a lot of the bullshit. All that. You know, like, I just, I'm tired of seeing it, this one team always getting away with all of this nonsense. Like, that's not fucking hockey. Play hockey. Charlie McAvoy, you're a talented player. Just play hockey. You can get under the cane skin by just being good and doing what you do. Like, play hockey. It is, like, it's, it's just, why... Doing that is so... Plus, technically, the rule is when you lose your helmet, you have to leave the ice. So he's essentially doing something that creates a 5-on-4 for the Bruins because Jordan Stahl now has to get off the ice. So, I mean, illegal in so many ways. But the referee stared at it and by not calling it is saying, that's okay to do. And it's... You can't do that. It's even... There's a rule directly written somewhere that you can't pull off fucking equipment of the opponent. Like, I don't understand why we're even having this discussion, but that was... That was so blatantly terrible that I don't understand anyone's argument against it. Um, and some people were trying to claim that you know the Hurricanes were whining after last game and we're gonna we're getting calls in this game like it the Bru- it was worse. This game was worse. If anything, it was it was a case of like the officials seemingly retaliating against the Hurricanes, um, which I don't think was the case. I think that they just had a bad night and made a bunch of bad calls. And unfortunately, once again, it goes all against one team, and it's just like ugh. So it's frustrating when you see it. But again, glad the Hurricanes were able to overcome it. But that wasn't where it ended. Um, Tavo Teravainen's called for interference where he, he, you know, isn't even looking. First of all, you can't interfere with someone that you never saw coming. It's not possible to do. That's called an inadvertent collision. And that's not interference. If two guys are like looking opposite directions from each other and they bump into each other, no one interfered with the other one. You just hit each other. Like you collided. It happens all the time. 
and you don't call it. Um, otherwise, hey, ref, you're in the way all the fucking time. Call yourself for interference when someone bumps them to you. You don't because it's, it, like, it's inadvertent. It wasn't intentional. Um, it can't be interference when the guy has no idea the other guy's there. And even still, Tori Krug barely brushed Teravainen, and he initiated the contact by skating into him. And then Teravainen's, first of all, Tori Krug's stick came up on Teravainen, so Teravainen kind of brushes that away, and Tori Krug falls. So call it bad balance on Krug's part. But whatever it is, it's definitely not interference. I get it if you don't want to call the high stick, even though Krug should be aware of the fact that his stick is at eye level, like that you shouldn't be skating around like that, especially through traffic. But it's not interference. Whatever it is, it's definitely not interference. So that was a terrible call. Um, And then we go to the goalie interference, which look, you know, whatever. I can understand the other side of this argument. But to me, this is what I saw on the goalie interference call. We're all in agreement that Teravainen was pushed in. You can't argue that. Go back and watch it. If you think that that's not true, you don't have eyes. So if you don't have eyes, can't really help you in this one. You know, go find a doctor that can help you with that. Um, Get something robotic in there that communicates with your brain and projects images on a screen for you. Um, Otherwise, I can't have this argument with you. You're out. Um, So for those of you with eyes, you saw that Teravainen was pushed in. Not a question. Okay, once he's in, he gets tangled up with... Uh, to Karask, and the argument becomes, does he make enough of an effort to get out? Well, being that the guy was pushed in, I feel like making enough of an effort to get out means that he's not further initiating contact with the goalie, being that he's not like purposefully standing there, and that he makes some he makes some movement to leave when he's able to. Not, oh, you know, he did a backflip around the goalie to avoid contact. Like, it's not really his job to do that when he was pushed in. It's not his fault that he's there. So now he's just trying to get out as soon as he can. He gets a little tangled up with Rask as soon as he's able to move away. He does, and you even seen him lean his body away from Tuka Rask. Now, Tuka Rask's stick maybe gets tied up a little bit with Teravainen, but that fault lies with the Boston defenseman who pushed Teravainen into the goalie, okay? Not Teravainen's fault. And then what Rask does is he kind of swats at Teravainen to get his stick free, and that is why he's not able to make whatever save, even though really the puck was kicked in by him. So there's a lot of reasons to me why this pointed should have pointed to a good goal. Um, and I even would have understood if they said that the call was, you know, stands. But they said it was confirmed, which means they're acknowledging video evidence of goalie interference, and I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense at all. But we've had this discussion before, and again, it's a fruitless endeavor to argue about goalie interference when there's no definition of the fucking rule. Everyone's interpretation of it is different. It makes no sense. So it is what it is. Luckily, the Hurricanes were able to, like I said, that was a turning point in the game. Hurricanes were able to kill it off and therefore got the win, I think, because of that moment. So thanks, refs, I guess, for motivating the team. I really hope that in Game 3, both teams get a fair shake. I don't want to see Boston getting hung out to dry either. I just don't like watching games where the officials impact the game that much no one wants to watch that the officials are in the background we want rules because we want the game to be fair but if you're noticing the officials no one wants that just call the game you know if you make a mistake you make a mistake but just be consistent is all we ask and we understand that you might make a mistake but don't make four glaring mistakes in one game first of all or don't you're bad at you're too bad at your job to be doing it and and don't make them all against one team like come on spread it out if you're going to make the mistakes it's just frustrating when all the mistakes seem to be against one side. Like, of course you're going to get people arguing that, you know, you're, you're calling the game for the other team when all the mistakes are against one team. Like, of course people are going to feel that way. So, whatever. That's, that's the official take. Um, the other thing I wanted to discuss is the lineups going forward um, into Game 3. 
and specifically the goalies. My gut is that Morozik starts uh, in Game 3 because I think that that was always the plan, um, and I'm pretty confident that Morozik will start in Game 3, so book it now if there's a bet on which goalie will start. Um, I think it's going to be Peter Morozik. I haven't been wrong yet in this postseason about those decisions, and once again, I think it's because the team planned that out. They said, well, Reimer's going to get the shot. Any any time where it's going to be any kind of back-to-back or close turnaround, they're going to give it to Reimer or Morozik if Reimer started the last game because they trust both guys equally. Both guys bring you different different things. They both have their pros and cons, but overall, it's kind of a wash between the two to me right now. They're both playing well. So I don't mind Peter Morozik at all. I think Peter Morozik uh, is favored a little more when the game's a little more up and down, which if the Canes get their legs going, the speed should pick up, and you probably trade a little more chances back and forth. If the game is more of a grind fest and, you know, a little bit more of a defensively sound game, I think that James Reimer is better because he's kind of calmer, more positionally sound guy who's going to save the shots he should save and not make any, you know, crazy athletic saves. I mean, although he has the capability to, but Morozik is a little better suited to make the kind of wild athletic saves that he has to make being a smaller guy. So uh, I think it's going to be Peter Morozik. If it's James Reimer, that's cool. If it's Peter Morozik, that's cool. That should be everyone's philosophy on it also. Neither of those guys have shown anything that says that they shouldn't get the start. Um, The forward lines, I have a feeling Svetch will be back on the top line, although I don't dislike that Trocek, um, Svetch, and Natchez line. So who do you you slide out uh, to the, or who do you slide up to the first line if that's the case? They had Jordan Martinuk on there for a little bit, which I feel like those kind of energy players... Uh, work in small stretches, but I wouldn't keep them on there for games. Like, it just doesn't work because the one guy's skill is too far behind. He's going to hold back the line a little bit. But it's basically a, a guy who can help keep pucks in and get pucks to the other two on the line who can score. But also, uh, Turbo and Ajo, one he has got to shoot. So they both like to pass too much. Um, I think that they could be hindered by that a little bit, but it, it, it worked out pretty well for game two. So we'll see if they stick with someone like that. Um You know, you could almost put like a Dezingle on that line if you really want to because he plays that similar kind of fast, energetic, not afraid to throw his body around at some people um, and adds a little bit more skill and finish even though his finish hasn't really been there this year. Um, So I feel like it could be, you know, what it really needs is is like a Nino Niederreiter from last year is what that first line needs if it's not going to be Svetch. Uh, But we don't really have that this year. You know, Nino's kind of struggled. Dezingle's kind of struggled. Those are the guys that would fit that role a little bit better. So then you're left with like a Warren Fogle or a Jordan Martinuk, kind of an energy guy. But again, I don't think that works in long stretches. So I wouldn't be surprised if the move is back to Svetch um, and then you bump up someone like uh, a a Brock McGinn or a Warren Fogle onto the line with Trocek and Natchez. Although I do like having a real good finisher on that line as well. So we'll see what Rod does, but those are kind of my opinions on, on those. Um, we need Williams to, to get back to how he was playing at the end of the year, which I, I feel like is of course going to take the same amount of time as it did in the regular season. Um, so hopefully by the end of this series, or if the Canes advance the beginning of next series, he's, he's got a little more of a finishing touch to him and is, is putting up some stuff on the score sheet. Um, and you need guys like Nino and Dezingle, whichever one is in to step up and at least be somewhat effective. They can't be invisible out there. And I don't think that either of them really have been, but um, you know they leave more to be desired. I think the Zingle's been better out of the two. And that fourth line continues to be great, whatever it is, even though Martin Hook was you know, moved off of it. I think that Morgan Geeky has been fantastic in his role. He's done exactly what's asked of him. He's not going anywhere, probably for a while on this team. Um, and that's great to see. The defense, I don't think there's really any point discussing defensive 
matchups when we don't know who's going to be healthy and who's not. Um, I'm fine with the lineup that was in. I could see Jake Gardner getting in, uh, but then you're you're moving like a Hayden Flurry to his offside probably, but Hayden Flurry's definitely staying in. So I like that. I thought that Trevor Van Riemsdyk was pretty good for most of the game um, other than the the uh, power play goal that Boston scored to make it 2-2 uh, where he needs to tie up the stick a little bit better. But that stuff happens sometimes. Overall, I thought that he played very well for someone who hadn't been in a game in a while. Um, Sammy Votnin, I thought, played extremely well in the third period. His, his poise with the puck and his positioning and his skating ability to kind of match guys speeding came to th- keep them to the outside was really good, really noticeable to me. That was the most impressed I've been with Sammy Votnin's defense so far. At times, I feel like he can he can kind of, you know, get beat defensively in ways that hurt when he's when he's playing against tougher matchups. But I thought that in that third period, he really showed me a lot. And if he could continue to play like that, no way he comes out of the lineup for the rest of his postseason. Devils, you can have your pick, even though they shouldn't be making the decisions based off of that anyway. But those are kind of my points. You heard me break down the game. You heard me talk about the players in the game. Of course, game. Three is on Saturday at noon, so I'll have a game out hopefully Sunday morning for or a podcast out Sunday morning for you recording that Saturday evening after the game, and then we're right back to uh, recording on Sunday again for our Monday episode. So all the recordings, you guys are getting getting all all the uh, episodes here. Um, you can always follow at SS Kane's podcast on Twitter and tweet at me if you have any questions or you want anything shared on the show or just have an opinion that you want to put out there. I got you. I'll do it for you. I'll pass it along to the masses. Um, You can call 912-289-7882, leave a voicemail to be played on the show, or you can text that number um, and leave a little message that I can read on air if you so choose. Um, Go rate and review the show on iTunes, Google Play, all that sort of stuff. I really appreciate it. Um, And until uh, Sunday, take it easy. Go Canes.